unfortunately have to run. So we can no, end, no, we're good. We yeah. can end it there. Um, but yeah, until next time, or yeah, not, because the world's gonna fucking end before the next yeah, episode. Until next time, maybe this was literally everything. All right. That was the very end of our last episode, and we recorded that episode in like mid-February, I think, Max? Yeah, it was. It was mid-February. So we had heard about the, uh, the coronavirus, but it was not what it became. Yeah, we managed to talk about the apocalypse for like an hour and 20 minutes without bringing it up. So that was like, you know, where our consciousness of that was. And it, it did happen. It ended. And, you know, the end that is more than nigh has been coronavirus, obviously. And today we're going to be talking about coronavirus in, in a number of senses, uh, particularly we're going to bring up its epistemology, which we'll define what that is later. But um, first, I don't know, like um, we could think about coronavirus as how does this map on to the different models of apocalypse that we discussed last time? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking about was, I mean, the thing is, so so we recorded the episode on the apocalypse and then it really felt like the world was ending and then we put it out. And then since then, time has kind of stretched on and the world is clearly not ending in the strict sense, but- A, a world is it ending, It is I definitely think. changing. A world is changing, right? So are we, you know, is this, it is apocalyptic in some sense, not in like the liter, like literal sense of the world ending. So, I mean, I was thinking about it, 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 like given what the stuff, the specific kind of aspects of apocalypticism we had discussed last time, you know, in what sense is this apocalyptic? And I, and I had a few thoughts. I mean, you had, of course, like at the beginning, you would see people who were, uh, I would say, a little bit thrilled about the prospect, especially mm, yeah. of like economic collapse of like the, the final crisis of capitalism finally mm. coming when the stocks were all cratering. Another aspect I noticed was... Uh, we talked a lot about time, about how apocalypse is like a change in... It's like apocalyptic transformations bring about a change in the way people experience time. And I do think that our sense of time has definitely changed because of this crisis. And then it's like dilating in these very strange ways. And, you know, every day seems longer, but then the time passes by so quickly. And I have no, I have literally no idea how long it's been. I mean, I could count the weeks, but it wouldn't really, the number of weeks it's been would not really bear any relationship to my experience of what the time has been. And then, the kind of dilation of the future as well. Like, so I, I would say that, yeah, time has, has changed for sure. I don't know if you've noticed that as well. Yeah. Well also, of course, notice the, like the texture of time, but also sort of like the, I think the big question in, in that respect is you're talking about the people who are like excited about the end of, of some sort of capitalism. And then like they managed to do the thing that they did, the, the robust, you know, neoliberal thing where like you give more money to rich people and like make sure to fuck it up if you're trying to give it to people who actually need it. So that's going strong. Uh, that didn't end. But I think, you know, I mean, it's like it, a, a lot of I, I, I think some of the worries that uh, people of our sort of subjectivity, I don't know what we'll call ourselves, like bourgeois youngish people. It like if this is like kind of embarrassing to say, but I think this is like widely true is people are like, we've built this big world 
of all these kind of conveniences and habits of social life that have been like all at once taken away from us. And, and people are like, okay, like I can live without restaurants or movie theaters or, you know, or whatever the thing may be for you. I can live without that for a time, yeah. but when this is all over, will we get those things back? And, and the sense of having had the world that we've known or the world that basically the world that has been known since World War II in a certain way for like the you know, upper middle class in America, there, I don't think there's been anything that's you know, knocked that off the map as much as this since, since World War II. And so I think that, and then, but immediately with that comes the guilt of like, oh my God, like I, I'm going to call not being able to go to the farmer's market an apocalypse. Like that's such bullshit. People are suffering so much more, you know? And, and so there's this, it's weird because, you know, apocalypse, we talked last time, it's supposed to be the unveiling, the revelation. It's a vision of something that's normally hidden. Yes. And I think people want to see the revelation of new kinds of meaning you know, what really matters is being together in, in our family. And it didn't, we thought all this other shit mattered. We thought West Elm mattered, but West Elm didn't really matter that much. And mm-hmm. I've, I, I've been kind of actually like a little worried about everyone taking the high road like way too soon. I'm like, guys, this is going to last like a year or two. Like, let's not learn the lessons so quickly because they'll probably just get like <laughs> thrown back in our faces. I'm, I, so that's yeah. what I'm worried about is everyone like, coming to peace too quickly with what they've lost and what they actually need. But that's, that's I think, what the end of the world is, is supposed to, to do, right? It's supposed to, like, teach you a lesson about what really mattered in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, that was Jesus's message during his ministry, which was an apocalyptic message. He said, you know, the end is nigh, so first of all, repent from your sins, but also he preached a kind of radically simplified version of the ethics that were prevalent at the time in he Judea. He was like, stop it, it was going also to much more... Galilean West Elm, guys. Yeah, yeah. So, but he was saying, but he was also like, it was simplified, but it was also much more demanding. He was saying, give up all your possessions. Don't get married. Like, give up all these creature comforts. Give focus on family. what's important, which is, your, you know, membership in the kingdom of heaven. So, so yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking just in terms of, of the, the revelation aspect of it, yeah. that in a political sense... This has revealed, like, in a way, the rot that has, like, taken hold of the American like, governmental capacity Bo- that's been body going politic. on for, for decades, right? So it's like, you know, it's a, it, it happened over time, but it was kind of hidden under the surface and this crisis lays bare all of the things that don't work that kind of have been papered over by this, like, superficial comfort that most Americans live in, not just like urban college educated liberal bourgeois people, but also like the suburban, your classic suburban strip mall shopper and fuddrucker goer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think that I have this like a rant that I think there's a place for it later in our outline of what we're going to do about, yeah, okay. about the rot in the, in, in the body politic. But I, I didn't mean it like was, in the body politic. I meant in like it, in like you know in a, the administrative the ha- apparatus of the state. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, but like we've you know we're responsible for that. Like we elect the people who are supposed to run that. You know, and okay. So I I think that I mean I, I, there was like a piece along what you're saying. I think it was like Ezra Klein was like this is exposed like the viru- virulence 
of American conservatism. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it wasn't Ezra Klein. It, um, Eric Levitz, I guess, I found it. But I don't think it's exposed anything we didn't know, right? Like, even, okay, like Russia, like hacking our election isn't the same as 50,000 deaths or 60,000 or whatever it is now. But, you know, what that exposed, if it wasn't clear before, was that, like, there was half of our political system was willing to sacrifice, like, our national, you know, the common wheel, our security, whatever, not just like the priorities of the other side, which they've never been into, but like their own priorities and definitions of like national security, willing to sacrifice that to like, quote unquote, like win, you know, and if that if that was the case for that for on those issues, like, why wouldn't it, you know, like, I haven't been super shocked, although it's like, crushingly disappointing, that you know, the Donald Trumps and the Mitch McConnells of the world are approaching this like the exact same way as all the other shit that's gone down. Yeah, I mean, that's that that is kind of it's the long term outcome of a project, but that that has been undertaken, you know, by political figures of both parties. It has to be said of kind of hollowing out reform welfare who did welfare reform. I I mean, mean, that's uh, this guy hasn't listened to too much too much of it you're talking about something that happened literally 25 years ago like there's i i don't know like that that's no but that's what i'm saying but the but but like that's the kind of revelation that i'm talking about is a decades-long decay of of the like administrative capacity of the state to the the point where it can't they can't handle um and and of course there is like the short-term political issues that are making everything even more dysfunctional but that's not really like and of course that's true i'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying about like the hostility of republicans to any kind of yeah idea of a common common wheel like a like a you know unified body, body politic i agree with all that but we all we knew that all we knew all of that already it's not like something hidden under the surface it's the surface of our politics and i'm talking about something that was you know supposedly i mean a lot of people were aware but i don't know if everyone was aware of how how incapable our government is of handling crises like this and how much better lots of other governments are. I, I will say like they like under Obama, like the national stockpile of like face masks got greatly depleted and wasn't restored. But like most of his losses on this general thing of like, do we have an FDA who does what they're supposed to do and like ensures the safety of food and drugs? Do we have a CDC who does what they're supposed to do? I think there's no doubt that if this hit us, if coronavirus hit us in 2015 when he was president, a ton of this shit would have been handled a lot better because he had other like things in place that this administration doesn't have in place. And not just because he's like a more capable executive than Trump, but like the whole administrative apparatus in philosophy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, uh, I, I agree that it would have been Take that, a, a better response, but... <laughs> No, I mean, that's you can dismiss it all you want. But like, you know, Barack Obama came in during an economic crisis and he went to Timothy Geithner. He didn't say, well, the government has to take care of it by like taking care of people who are suffering from the financial crisis. He he brought in people, not just Geithner, but other people, too, who said, no, we have to take care of the financial markets first. So, I mean, like it was it was in it. There was a, a certain continuities 
in Barack Obama's governing philosophy with this general trend, as well as, you know, distinctions. I don't think it's that simple. I'm never like I have never yeah. said to you or anyone else <laughs> that, that, oh, they're two, they're just the same party, all that kind of stuff. So so I don't think you can easily dismiss it. But that's not really the point. Like that some of these trajectories are not something that like an incoming president can just come in, come in and change. Um, these are things that that set in and they're systemic um, and they're very hard to to turn around like this kind of general like generational kind of decadence that can happen. And they sometimes sometimes it's hard to it's, it's hard to turn it around because it's hidden. You know, it's happening yeah. under the surface. It's happening. Yeah. yeah. So 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 in any case, put it. Yeah, that's we'll fine. put a pin in this. I'm on the what I mean, what I wanted to talk about, what we've been discussing a little uh, bit, this is demology. What's up? Uh, I just said epistemology in a funny way. Okay. Yeah. So what we wanted to talk about today, what we're going to be talking about tonight is the coronavirus crisis as an epistemological event. So we're going to be looking at this from a variety of angles. But I think that before we do that, we should define what epistemology is for people who might not be familiar with the term or are familiar with the term, but not quite clear on it. So I think you looked it up. I actually didn't have like a textbook definition of it at hand, but you did. Okay, this is from this book called A World of Ideas by a guy named Chris Roman with an R-O-H. And so epistemology is one of the five classical fields of philosophical inquiry. I always thought there were three big ones and that the three were epistemology, metaphysics, and ontology. This guy says it's epistemology, metaphysics, ethics, aesthetics, and logic. And so Mm. some of those are pretty self-evident. But like, so sometimes I think epistemology helps to define the other ones metaphysics is like existence like what exists epistemology is the study of knowledge what is knowledge how do we obtain it i'm reading from this book how do we verify it what are its limits knowledge being everything that is true you know so plato said knowledge is the opposite of opinion you know so like I remember in a, in a philosophy class that I dropped very quickly because it was like so over my head and like when I was a sophomore. I remember the part right before he lost me, which is he was saying like a baby might accidentally say like give me a banana or like banana and you know, but do you really know that the baby knows that the word banana means the, that thing? You know, when do you know that that has been acquired as knowledge? You guys get what I mean, <laughs> listeners? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Epistemology is, you know, what do we know? How do we know it? How do we decide whether we know something? How is it all organized? All that kind of stuff. And and what's just been striking me a lot over these past weeks, months at this point, is that this is like, this crisis is like the most epistemological thing that's ever happened in our lifetimes. Because there's just so much Everyone's just reading so much, get like getting bombarded with so much information. About Everyone the asterisk and, who reads a lot of shit on the internet. Yes, and I knew I knew you were going to say that. It's just people who are reading a lot of stuff on the internet. I totally have to say, first of all, it's You're not like, necessarily relevant. You, and secondly everyone and i mean everyone ethan there are some people who are like totally ignorant but everyone is getting 
information at like a higher frequency and intensity than they normally do, right? So people who don't follow anything now, like this, this huge news event is like impacting, it's impacting everyone's life and everyone's hearing yeah. stuff about it, whether it's like from the internet or from cable news or from their friends and family who they're talking about, about the crisis and hearing rumors or social media, yeah, whatever. Well, but, but that's also um, important to the, that, like, I'm glad I pushed your button on that because like you, the first the thing that you said that made me say the annoying thing was you said reading everyone's like reading more than ever you know and so like what's this sure. like the status of the of the quote-unquote information that is actually like knowledge and what's the, the rest of it and, and i think we've been having this crisis it's been like a slow that's been you know a crisis that's defined like everything since fucking like the Iraq war or I don't know, it may go back further, but like in, that's in our lifetime, that's been kind of a, a cleavage in the, in the culture wars and in society. And, and it, it's really come like it's taken on an absurd proportion with Trump and like, like every day he like kicks, if epistemology is like a, a glass of water on a table, he like puts his feet up and like kicks it over and it breaks he does it every day. And then this fucking thing happened. But the type of crisis it's bringing, we, I think we were having it like all the fucking time. We were just, it just wasn't pervasively affecting everyone. It was just affecting people who gave a shit about those other things like Russia or whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. I mean, it's like the, the amount of, of information that we are not necessarily just reading, but I, in the, in the outline, I said consuming, consuming might not be right because sometimes we're like passively getting bombarded with it. We're just receiving all this information about the crisis in various different kinds of ways. And the amount of information the like intensity of the information, but also like the, the complex and changing nature of the information is, is, yeah. which, you know, it's always the case that like there's a epistemological kind of aspects to any kind of crisis or problem that we don't know everything about. But in this case, because the stakes are so high and it's impacting every single person in this country, it's putting pressure on the kind of assumptions that we have For sure. or like, kind of yeah preconceived notions about like what is truth what makes something a valid statement how do we know things all that kind of stuff so that's why i think this is like those are epistemological concerns and that's why i think this event is uniquely epistemological because there's so much pressure on on, the, on yeah, yeah like can, on the can background I... like on how we on how we receive information how we decide whether we trust it or not, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And of course, that's all been in the background, all this kind of stuff, misinformation on Facebook or whatever. Yes, but this is like intensified it and made it, brought it to the surface. Yeah, well, I think also like, you're talking about like the, the, the pressure, there's the thing of even if we're all on the same page, there's, you know, they say, we're in the beginning, they're like, oh, masks don't matter. And then it turned out that that may have been a sort of strategic hedge because they're like, fuck, we don't have enough masks, you know, like, even for doctors. So let's like, but perfect example of what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, so we like some people find out, Oh, there's some people like they're saying that to us because they want to, they want to save the masks for people for, you know, essential workers, Has that been, medical ha, workers. Is that true though? It like, was, is that kind of what, when they, when, when the quote unquote, when the, they, whoever they are changed their mind and were like, you know what? It probably wouldn't hurt to wear a mask, even if it's not, um, an N95, like every little bit helps. Was that change basically because at, they were worried about shortages initially? Or is it like, unclear? this is like, uh, this is like the critical thing. Like, this is what I'm interested in. And we'll get get more into it later. But this problem that 
you're supposed to trust that scientists and scientific institutions are going to give you objective information. But then at the same time, you start having to guess about whether they're saying what they're saying and speaking straightforwardly, or if they have other kinds of reasons for, for giving you this information, like you don't need a mask unless you're healthy or unless you're like symptomatic. Right. Or, and it's like, there's these two tweets that I was just sending you from, from, um, Nate, uh, Nate Silver and, and Matt Iglesias, who they were both agreeing. It's like, well, you have to kind of like, they have this kind of thing where like, are they trying to keep people from panicking or are they trying to scare people or like they're trying to do neither, but you have to like kind of modulate how you're interpreting all these statements or, or advice or whatever from scientific people. Whereas the whole basis of their authority is that they're like giving you unvarnished, true information based on science. You know what I mean? Like that's the whole yeah, problem. That is like the but, epistemological mm, problem that I want to unpack. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think, but the, the scientists aren't, aren't in a vacuum, right? So, you know, in prepping for this, we were talking about, there's of course the media, which that's the definition. It mediates information, it mediates knowledge, you know, but there's also, you know, people aren't all just saying like, what do the scientists think? For example, like Donald Trump, not a scientist, says, um, you know, this drug and this drug, like, I think that those are the ones that are going to work or everyone should like fucking like inject themselves with Clorox bleach. And there are people who like not a few people who hear that and are like, all right, that's what what we got to do. And people like you and me can listen to him and say, you know, at best, he's you know, trying to sugarcoat how bad this is and, and um, you know, because he doesn't, I don't know, like I, I've encountered people who are like bending over backwards to say that like what Trump's doing is he's just, I mean, this was like before the bleach stuff, but at the very beginning when he was kind of brushing it aside that it was like, because America wasn't ready to hear the, how bad it was. And it was like, give people hope or something. That's a pretty like tendentious explanation. Generous generous and yet though people did take that to be or, the, or okay rather that would be an example of what you're talking about which is well don't listen to what he's saying listen to like put some context on it and think about what the intention might be and the message isn't just the words the message is like this larger sign in like a semiotic sense of you know what what are you broadcasting and so like maybe by saying don't wear masks at the beginning. They weren't saying don't wear masks. They were just broadcasting like masks are, you know, a finite resource and we need to like be really careful with them because, you know, but they can't come out and say that because you know, it's just like, yeah, it, it becomes a little bit of a fucking like house of mirrors where all the mirrors are falling like dominoes. I don't know. Why I'm like giving these like fucking like LSD analogies tonight for everything. But <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like all that stuff you're saying about Trump, like it is somewhat entertaining to like speculate on like what's going on in his head when he's saying this shit. But I mean, to me, it's not that interesting because, you know, me and you, uh, I know, like, I know there are people out there that listen to him and believe what he says, but we don't. And our listeners don't. I, I what I'm interested in is like what we're experiencing, like me and you okay, but, and the people who are listening to this podcast, like yes. what they're going through in terms of trying to figure out like, how does this virus, like, what is the nature of this virus? How does it spread? What's going to happen in the future? All this kind of stuff. What What are we supposed to be doing with, like, with the masks? How much are the masks helping us? Like, all that kind of stuff. Like, we're all thinking about that on a, day, on a daily basis and trying to deal with that. And, like, so there is, like, a, obviously, like, yeah, the, the epistemological crisis has this, like, 
political dimension where there is, you know, a huge part of this country that have decided who knows whether they believe literally everything he says, but they've decided that they're just going to pretend like and, and always give him a generous kind of interpretation of of what he's saying. They should believe and literally everything like, the podcast. Yes. But literally but, everything, literally everything says. Go on. Yeah, no, or, or actually, I, let me let me take this moment of having interrupted you too. I yes, go say, ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to say this. Here's why it does matter to, to us. Because this, is, because this is a fucking viral infectious disease. So if the standards of knowledge, I can't just say, like the standard of knowledge of what my neighbors think is knowledge affects me. Okay, like the other day I saw this neighbor who, uh, there's no chance she'll ever hear this. I really don't like this neighbor. I had to call the police on her before. She's just a fucking the worst neighbor <laughs> has ever lived. <laughs> I just got to say it. So I saw like from my, my second floor thing, she had a contractor over. They were like one inch from each other's faces talking about like remodeling, like building a bar in her backyard for like a fucking hour. No face mask, no, you know, anything. I'm just like, what the fuck? And like, we've talked to her like, so by the way, audience, if you don't know, I'm immunocompromised. So that's like probably, you know, shapes my perspective. But like, what's her epistemology? You know, like she, what has she considered to be certain information that is like certain, you know, unquestioned science? Because to me, the unquestioned science would be like, I'm not trying to have a person I don't know in my house, like three inches from my face without a mask. Like the science has spoken and I won't do that. But if she has a different standard of knowledge or whatever, you can take Trump out of it. That's going to affect me, you know, and that's going to affect kind of all of us. And I, this has always been the case a little bit with the anti-vaxxing, where it's like, even though it's a small number of people, if their epistemology is so far off, they can fuck it up for everybody, you know? And then this is like yeah. a, a, a much more global demonstration of that infectious bad epistemology. So that I just want to say that, but then like we can jump into the, the stuff that pertains more to like people, quote unquote, like us. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, for me, there's not that much to, like, unpack and discuss about people being wrong. You know what I mean? I mean, you can you can talk about, like, how, how people become wrong and, and, like, what kind of disinformation is out there. But I don't have much interesting to say on that. But, I mean, like, I did want to just, like, talk about just in the beginning of our conversation about, you know, epistemology and, 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 the, and the pandemic is, like, kind of just discuss some of the ways like there's there's just so many examples of what i'm talking about like of epistemology give like a few. Give a few impacting examples. how we're experiencing this crisis and you give a few examples you have okay yeah i'm mind. gonna i'm gonna give a few examples they might be numbered c yes. and, uh, you know roman numeral one lowercase whatever you know whatever example yeah yeah, yeah exactly i'm looking at it right now well i wanted you to see it so you can think of some other ones on your uh like for, for I, you I like your examples up. but okay so so we already talked about a few of them, but like just the contradictory information, like this stuff comes up where like it spreads like this much and then it's like, oh, it can spread from, it's like so communicable and everyone can get it. And then you hear, oh, actually, like you need to be in close contact with people for a long period of time. They have to be asymptomatic or no, they don't have to be symptomatic. They could be asymptomatic. It's 14 days. No, it's actually only five days. This is all like information that I've read. Who knows what's true yet? Then, like, here's just an example. You're going to make fun of me for because I'm talking about it too much. Um, my brother talks about it even more. Uh, here's an example <laughs> that's just like a very simple, simple example, like a metaphor for what I'm talking about, which is the photographs of people 
in crowds that you see almost every day in the news, on social media, of people crowding together at, at beaches or in parks or stuff like that. These photographs are taken with telephoto lenses that like dramatically impact your perception of depth. So you're so so there's like an yeah. example of like a Danish photograph where like they took they took a telephoto lens of people standing in line outside a grocery store. They're all spread apart or like so the, the telephoto lens is like from the front of the line. Right. And they all look like they're standing next to each other. It looks like a huge, huge crowd of people not practicing social distancing. Right. What a bunch of selfish assholes who deserve to get sick. Right. Then there's a second photo <laughs> from the side of the line with a wide angle lens. And they're all standing like seven, eight feet apart from each other. Right. So like the whole thing of like knowledge comes from the senses. What I'm seeing is true. It's not the case. Right. Like you're like a photograph can totally tell you a lie. Which, which is like goes against what we think a photograph is, which is just a straightforward, you know, depiction Neutral of document. A, a real image. Right. So so that's like just it's, it's an example of what I'm talking about, but it's also like a metaphor in general for what we're talking about. So a, a photograph is like a mimetic depiction of a thing. But but I think we're also being bombarded with um, abstract representations in the form of like graphs um visual data visualization data yes visualization. this is one of the best parts yeah go ahead sorry no i mean um like that's kind of your zone you know um i mean i was i was like when the flatten the curve sh i like i remember where i was the first time i read about flattening the curve and i was like oh man like i i feel like this might be too complicated for people and no one's like so again i'm immunocompromised i'm just fucking terrified of other people fucking shit up and something horrible happening to me. So I thought that like people weren't going to get that and therefore weren't going to act upon it. And largely that is not true. People like did get it. It was like comprehensible, but there's a lot more nuanced um, examples of data visualization that I don't know, if you call it problematic, but like you might have more to say about the slippery epistemological slopes of the curves yeah i mean it's, but like the flattening the curve thing is is a great example to discuss because not everything i'm not like trying to say over and over again oh everything's tricky and everything's more complicated than it seems and nothing you think you know you actually know that's not the point i'm trying to make actually like the flattening the curve data visualization is probably going to go down as like one of the most important data visualizations like ever because it was yeah. so straightforward and successful in conveying information that needed to get out and, and explaining uh, to like people cut the why psychology. this was important. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, absolutely. The, that's what's on the other side of all this data, dude. It's like social psychology. Like, do people buy it? You know, I mean, that's like a, a cheaper way of saying some of what we're talking about. But were, were you surprised that, at the success of that? I mean, I remember reading about it and people were already like raving about how effective a, a piece of communication it was. Hmm. That's what I wanted. To, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, I was reading something about Seattle, like a New York article about how Seattle was successful. And it was about how they followed the science, right? They let scientists take the lead, uh, which I'm going to talk about more later. But they said like what they were talking about, a public health, you know, a public health crisis is a medical crisis, but it's also like a challenge of communication. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like the 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 flatten the curve visualization was a great, great piece of communication. And um, I think it's going to go down in history. But there's all sorts of like we've getting we're getting all sorts of, you know, data visualizations, charts, graphs, all sorts of stuff. 
and like there is a problem. There was like this article that I sent you in from the New York Review of Books blog about infowhelm, getting infowhelmed, like overwhelmed with information. Yeah. Talking about a lack of data literacy. I don't really know how literate I, I I'm not in a position to judge how data literate or illiterate like the American public, the public is, is, but like some of these some of these charts are hard to read and parse and like you can see how they would cause confusion. Particularly things like, you know, the use of logarithmic scales make like a logarithmic scale is not something that's intuitive for a person. And like it's it's especially if you're me in data, like, like it's not intuitive to me to look at it and see you like, you know, OK, there's 10,000, there's 100,000. They're right next to each other. So you don't like yeah. if it's going straight from 10 to 100. You know, that's not good. So, you know that. But like steeper is worse. It's the same thing with the linear. What I think is an interesting thing about like about this moment, though, is I was thinking about this before we even talked about this as an episode, is that all these choices, okay, now, it, it so happens that in our country, like, our leadership, like, couldn't, is giving, like, the least shit about the science, you know, you could imagine. But, like, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, or, like, if we were in, like, a sort of normal country, like, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. these things that, or maybe it is relevant that we're in America. There's been, I think, the, the NPR America, you know, has been, I feel like, tearing their hair out, mostly over climate change. But, but I think there's other examples, even, even just like, you know, trickle down economics versus uh, something that's like less radically laissez-faire. Like the data is pretty clear at this point that like that, that the, the trickle down thing like never works, has never worked. Giving tax cuts to the rich has never like done what they said it would do over like a bunch of different times and so that mm-hmm. the, whether it's in that sphere or it's in you know gun control all these fucking issues people have been tearing their hair out about like it is very clear objectively like what we should do and why don't we just do what the the math or the science say but we don't do it because there's all these people who don't even understand it or who are afraid of it or like often if I'm talking to coastal people they'll blame like religion like dumb Christians, although I think that there's plenty of dumb non-Christians, too. And yet, now we've Are shifted to a thing. Like, like I, I don't know. You know, I'm just saying, you know, you, but you get what I'm saying, right? We have these public policy No, I know. I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying, like, anti-vaxxers yeah. are dumb. Well, some oh, of them oh, are oh, dumb non-religious a lot of people. Them are yeah, 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 yeah. Right on. Yeah. But so, but now we have this thing that is, like, life and fucking death. Like, do you... And not for you and me per se, but I remember hearing about in um, Lombardy in Italy, basically like the head public health bureaucrat in Lombardy, like the guy whose job it is to look at these charts and predict death rates, went to effectively the governor of the state and was like, look, how many fucking people are going to die? Like, we're fucked, dude. We need to like shut shit down, you know? And the governor was in this tough position because the mayor of Milan was saying that everyone should go to the restaurants and the prime minister was also like kind of saying it would go away. But like, you know, that's the thing where like, you know, literally like thousands of lives were sort of lost um, or could have been lost by do people and not just the head public health guy, but really like the entire population or society take seriously, you know, math and science and we're going to like problematize all that. But I think the whole reason it's interesting to problematize it is because the stakes are so immediate and so high. You know, like we what is the incubation period? That is a 
thing that if if there's an objective answer to that, we really fucking need to know it, you know, like in a way that we've never needed to know anything. Yeah. And I, and we're going to get to that. I, I, like, I do want to speak like in, in the end, I don't want to present this kind of criticism of science. Like, obviously, like, you know, I, I, I'm going to criticize the phrase, I believe in science later, but like, I do believe in science, basically, you know, so like, that's not what I'm trying to say, like, the, the stakes are extremely high, and we do need to follow, you know, scientific evidence based kind of policies in order to deal with it. But like you're saying, I do think that like, that's what everyone, you know, or everyone, not everyone, but that's what we like you and me and our listeners, I would assume, we all want to do that. We all want to be like, well, what does the science say? You know, like, how are we going to beat this thing? And we've all been kind of frustrated because they're not really telling us as fast as we would have liked. You know what I mean? And they keep telling us different things. And it's like, well, I thought science is supposed to be like the tool. It's supposed to be a toolkit to like figure this stuff out. And they keep telling us contradictory shit. You know or what I mean? Not, or they don't, like, they keep telling us they don't have enough information. And like, that's a part of science that a lot of people on a day-to-day level don't think about. Like, it's a thing I've had to deal with, like, again, like in this, I have this like chronic illness that doesn't have a clear like diagnosis or treatment plan. And like people think of medical science in particular as this thing where like you have a problem and they tell you the solution. And the way it actually works is like if millions of people have the same problem they look at that problem for 20 years until they find a good solution like i take this shot once a month that it's the first drug for migraines that's ever been developed actually for migraines because everything else they've ever used was off-brand because it took it's taken like decades of research to verify and to be certain that this works and blah 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 and and i think people have a totally different idea of how science in general and medical science in particular, you know, tell us, you know, like, what's the answer? What pill do you swallow so you don't have this problem? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so you're talking about like not having enough information, like, so, so there's like, it's not just science, but also like data that's been given, like put in the spotlight and like in, in flattering and not so flattering ways. You know, like that's what it, that's what that's a good metaphor, actually, like science and data are in the spotlight and like we're seeing how powerful and beautiful it is. But also <laughs> like under the bright lights, you can see some of the wrinkles, you know what I mean? Yeah. Some of the smudged mascara and so on. And it's like so data is so important. Everyone wants to get see the data. Let's dig deep into the data here. But like there's all sorts of problems with that, too. So like data science, like running algorithms on stuff like you can really get into trouble doing all that kind of stuff and like so there's all sorts of like so people are literate or illiterate with data so so like one one form of data illiteracy is like trusting it too much because there's all Mm. sorts of issues like we don't know if the data is complete like there's all these questions like everyone's like okay so here's the number of deaths from covid you know in in the united states but then you hear oh wait well they're not people counting at home nursing and, home deaths. They're not yeah. counting people who die at home and like and all this stuff. And then you have to and then it turns out you have to look at excess deaths. So now you're comparing comparing how many people have died in the past month to how many people died last year. And it's like, well, that's a very good predictor. Like, you know, that's like a, a pretty good it's called like autocorrelation. Like, you know, how many people die in March this year is like pretty correlated with how many people died in March last year. It's not exact, right? So then you're then you're making a 
a projection or kind of an educated guess on how many people. So you're looking at a, this blank number, which is like 26,713 at such and such date, right? But then it turns out, well, actually, we just have to guess. You know, you can't even count how many people have died from this thing. Um, so everything is like a little bit, you scratch the surface and it's like a little bit more unsteady. And that's what, that's yeah. what I mean. It's like data and, 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 and science are supposed to be like producing objective facts and you scratch the surface and you see, wait, it's unsteady and it's, they're changing. It's changing all the time. This isn't built on like a solid, as solid a foundation as we hoped because we're putting our hopes in this kind of stuff getting us through the crisis. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the, the like, I feel like the sentence sets, set your mind ablaze is I believe in the science or let's follow the science. I mean, like I've kind of talked about that is that that's like the, the, you know, urban, urbane left uh, liberal perspective is, is why don't we just follow the science? And, and, And everything you've talked about until now is, is on the level of, well, the science is, you know, it normally takes like four years to do a vaccine. I think that's the record. Science moves slowly, but it's that that doesn't necessarily problematize following it. That's just saying, oh, guys, it's it's slower than you think. But I think that you have like even deeper yeah, well, vaccine development is. Yeah. Yeah. Vaccine development is a different thing, but, kind of. And like, yeah, I don't yeah, think but, anyone's but also, really. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm just saying it's a thing where like it's like, hey, everyone thinks follow the science means like we get better, better solutions sooner. And it turns out like science might say, hey, like a fucking ton of people are going to die before we get a vaccine because science doesn't science doesn't necessarily equal like sooner. Um, but that's more like how. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. A surface level issue. I'm trying to to get at like what are some of the deeper, more epistemological issues that, that you wanted to dissect with this maybe default liberal standpoint of believe in the science follow the science like what's like what's the problem with that and i say that in a leading way because i know you have stuff to say yeah for sure i mean i'll just get, I'll, I'll do my little um i'll do my little spiel and i'll try not to get worked up but um so I, I mean first of all i want to say like this this statement i believe in science follow the science like i i think i mean i'm sure it's been around for a long time but i do think it's it's more or less something that comes from climate change, the climate change debate. Mm. Like it, it comes as a response to climate denialism, which is like a very, it's just kind of bullheaded, like stubbornness from the other side of people who are, who just refuse to accept that there's like a scientific consensus on climate change. So, so people are saying, I believe in science. And like, I just want to unpack what it means when you say, I believe in science. I mean, I would say, I, I mean, I, like a lot of it I can agree with and a lot of it you can kind of look at it in a slightly critical way. So I think that on the surface level, what people are really saying when they say, I believe in science, they're saying like, I believe in looking in like reason. I believe in looking at the world in a rational way. You know, I don't believe in, like, I'm not biased, you know? So there, so it's like, mm. think of climate change. So this whole thing has been transposed onto COVID crisis, but like comes from climate change. So it's like, instead of being biased and like thinking about my economic interests or something like, let's just be objective mm. and like, look at what's going on. You know what I mean? So like, that's like the can I, surface can, can I level. Just a, a, a small other yeah, level, go for it. level of that is like, I think about evolution again, the, the growing up in Kansas thing. You know, That's another great sci- example. And creationism and stuff, yeah. I believe in science as a meaning 
Um, I'm rational and objective. I don't. It, uh, the default position of, of reason is objective, and the position yes. of faith is a distortion. There's there's objective evidence, and it says evolution happened. Like, and then there's like um, faith uh, comes or superstition or something and fucks with that. And I I don't you know I'm not into that. So go on. Absolutely, and that's like a great great segue to like the second level of what they're saying, which is I believe in science, meaning I believe in a set of objectively true facts about the universe, about the world we live in. So like it is, I believe in that evolution happened. I believe that the big bang happened. You know, I believe that climate change is happening. So it's like a set of, of, you know, the set of natural laws that like govern the universe. I believe in, yeah, these truths. That's what they think when they think of what science is. Do you know what I mean? So like they think of they think that science is a collection of facts. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Objectively true facts, universal facts. That makes yeah. sense, right? That have that have been uh, arrived at through like applying reason to. I mean, because I, 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 yeah, and I think that there's already like weak points in that folks on left and right aren't. Which is which is what leads to this kind of leakage that happens on on the, on the in in the other otherwise allegedly like educated coasts where like it leaks and people start fucking with you know anti-vax and lizards and stuff is like folks don't get necessarily the best education on like what reason is and you know first of all that it's like uh, it's, it's not a straightforward thing and then second of all that the scientific method isn't just about like complete facts that are are done and finished and ready for you know the showroom but it's like about trial and error and like the best possible doing the best you can with sometimes like incomplete data and like probabilistic reason and you know not deterministic conclusions yeah yeah and i think that okay so 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 that's a great thing to to bring up like and and just on a very basic level like i think that people don't necessarily like look i'm not complaining that people haven't been educated on this like i I, this might be kind of obscure what i'm saying but like there's a distinction between rationalism which is like a worldview that's based on like you know kind of geometric logic so like you you have this like like deductive logical system that explains the world versus oh my god i forget this goddamn word every single time i always want to say ecumenical empirical empiricism like i've every single time i want to say empiricism i forget it and i try to and i want to say ecumenical that's so Uh, funny so versus an empiricism which is really more what i mean people know that the scientific method is based on like empiricism which is like you know experimental you make observations observations, and then you form Yeah, but I mean, I do think that like when people think about like the the triumphs of science, they are thinking about the more kind of like rationalistic side, the more kind of theoretical side. So they're thinking of like Isaac Newton. He's like writing shit on a chalkboard. You know, you only need like with with stuff like that, like where you only need one observation. You know, you see how how fast a thing falls from a tree. And like you can calculate like the ma- a mathematical law that governs the movement of all objects in the universe or whatever. But My that's not how was like that he saw a bunch of apples fall over a long period of time. But go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he like put together a distribution and calculated the mean. Yeah. I mean, like, no. So <laughs> so so anyways, like 
I'm getting a little muddled there. Like I'm not the I'm not an expert on like the 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 history of history of science. So um, no, but but like don't take everything what I'm saying too seriously. But like it's it's a great point. What else were you saying? I think part of this also comes from there's there's been a huge muddling of science that's actually science. And then, like, I mean, we live in the world of, like, quote-unquote, big data, right? So I'll give you an, an example of what I'm talking about. A fucking, not, not, not necessarily Facebook, but, like, whatever, you know, there's a zillion businesses that make money by going to other businesses and saying, hey, we'll look at the data of whatever the fuck you do, and we'll give you, like, these allegedly, you know, objective, unassailable, you know, the, you know these things of, like, it, you know, if you look at the data, you know, no one looked, everyone thinks that like Mark Zuckerberg is the first motherfucker to ever think of like looking at the data or something. And, you know, and these young people are going to come in and show you the data that you've never considered and like rationalize your process and like make you, you know, more efficient and make you tons of money. And there's a lot of bullshit on both like people who sell that worldview and people who buy it. And I think like a huge part of our fucking global economy is based on this like way overly concrete idea of data and assuming that sort of financial information or or whatever like what fucking like links you click and all that stuff is the same as the speed at which an apple falls from a tree is gravity you know negative 9.8 meters per second right isn't that what it is Shout yeah, out Mrs. I mean, Moberg if that's true. Yeah, so going to companies and, and lying to them and telling them that you could take their data and find something useful, that's what I do, yes. So that's that's true. But like, yeah, so I mean, Sorry. I think that, but that you know what, what you're I mean? saying is like- But you know a, what I mean, it, it, dude? It's, I'm saying of there's a Of course I know what you mean. I wrote, I wrote this blog post, I, like I'll link to this blog post. I was yeah, saying exactly you what you said. Like, yeah. like that data is not a concrete truth. It is an abstraction. And like working with data can help you predict in a probabilistic manner, like somewhat what someone might do in the future. But yeah, but so, I think, so, don't so, you yeah. think so there's there some is slippage like, from hard science to that to what you're talking about. And I think there's a slippage. Yes, of course. And yeah. I, I argue against that. So like I'm not someone who says like, oh, yeah, data science is a science they, it uses. It uses computer science, which is like arguably like I don't know if you'd want to call that a science or not. And it uses statistics, uh, but it's basically applied statistics. That's what like Nate Silver says. You shouldn't call it data science. It's like applied statistics. Like I think you should just call it a data. Who knows what a data artisan. We don't have to be scientists. It's fine with me. My favorite but, thing um, in Veep is when Jonah, like, they tell him that, like, the zero was invented by Arabs, and so he, like, starts railing against, quote-unquote, Islamic math. Okay. Yeah, but so, so, but, like, what you're saying is true, is that, like, there is this, this leakage of this, yeah, data leakage is actually a term in data science, but, like, there's a leakage of statistics into fields, like, like social sciences, for example, yeah, political science, politics is not a science, sorry, but like, yeah. unfortunately, you know, our world is fucking uh, run by political scientists, which is the worst. They're the worst. I'm sorry like if you're one of them. Opinion, um, like opinion surveys. Like here's here, like here's an example oh, about Corona. Like me. there was before like the lockdowns, like one or two weeks before the lockdowns, there was a big story that like every media, like every website picked this up. And it was like survey says that 70 percent of Americans won't buy Corona beer because of the, you know, Corona virus. And everyone was like, oh my God, this tells you everything you need to know about 
um, Americans. And I would like to say <laughs> that I called it. I, I said on Twitter, I'm calling bullshit on this. Like, this isn't what happened. And it turned out like later that day, it came out that like, it's just some fucking like it's some con artist PR guy whose job is to commission messed up, like faulty surveys that are going to get big, that that are going to get attention and he was basically just like freelancing a way of like getting attention for his for his opinion polling company or PR company or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, consultancy, by saying like, look, I can get like I can get big splashy results and I have a Rolodex and I can like get it in. Look news how many media, stories, right? That, like how many stories were published on the basis of my survey or whatever. I think that that's also like just side note, like I, I, I give a lot of love to to Vox and Ezra Klein specifically. But like a thing that like actually like right before this hit, I was like listening to a lot of his podcasts around his book um, that just came out, which was it's supposed to explain to us like why we're polarized. And so much of it relies on fucking like surveys that ask subjective questions like, are you do you feel very like strongly hostile or mildly hostile to people of different political persuasions? And it's like. You can't, like, I think we really over, and a lot of people have tried to interpret so much of the last four years and stuff based on these surveys of, like, what people say, and it's like, I'm down to go by what people do or, like, maybe how they vote, but I think that there's a lot of, um, the science gets really soft, to my mind, when uh, it comes to that, and people treat it as very, like, deterministic yeah you know for sure for sure people treat that as scientific and like it's it is very soft and like all that stuff i think has its has its uses if it's used responsibly and like you don't like you don't draw too too like like important conclusions from it um but yeah like all this stuff is an abstraction i mean to be fair i would say that like your your voting record isn't necessarily like necessarily like a straightforward one-to-one um, sure. Yeah. No, communicator true. of yeah. your political beliefs, and like right. as we know from like 2000 in Florida, like your ballot isn't even necessarily a straightforward record of your voting intention. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all sorts of ways in which things can things can get messed up in the middle. But we were we're we're on a tangent now. So like I wanted to get to the third level. Get, take us to the deepest level. This is the, the deepest, deepest level. level. The the dream within the dream within the dream is is this so like i believe in science is like it means being rational one and then it means like in the set of facts two about the world and like you know as a corollary of that like yes people do understand like it's the scientific method people know something about the scientific method and they think that that's that's the way of arriving at truth but also i think that it's a statement that has to do with authority and it's basically people are saying I believe what scientists tell me and I believe what scientific institutions say. Like those are the people who have who when they make statements, they're valid. And I am predisposed to trusting them because not just because I believe in the scientific method, but because their social status makes them trustworthy. Social status. Okay. Well, like they, they are that? enveloped in this kind of aura, which is given, which is given to them by their, for example, you know, college degrees or publication histories or membership in scientific academies, you know, Nobel Prize, mm. like Nobel Prize yeah, laureates, yeah. 
you know, if you're a, if you're a Nobel Prize laureate in medicine, then people are going to listen to what you have to say in medicine, even if it's like often if it's outside of you know your area of expertise. Yeah, word. I mean, I feel, and so I feel like what you're drilling down to because and we should get to it so that we can like you know start to like blow open the like free will shit. But is is you know scientific truth is produced through socially constructed forms of authenticating the knowledge. So we create a thing called a university, and it like grants you these degrees and maybe you know this research, and we create a Nobel Prize committee, and they give you the Nobel Prize, and you know, and just I think people intuitively grasp that like you can distort data or like choose certain types of data to make certain to fudge or, or present certain maybe stilted things of reality. And then it's the same with like the very position of the scientist, him or herself. I know that's like, I think it's worth pointing out. I'm like a little less moved by that just because I'm, I, I, I feel like the authority of scientists on the whole is I think under, like I wish people deferred to them more. I wish this was more of a problem, I think. You know, and again, because I think I think so much of this, by the way, Max, and I, this is maybe interesting to our listeners. I think it's like a San Francisco, Kansas City thing, where like I'm coming at it like it's like what makes what drives you crazy. So like what drives me crazy is that I know the country is full of people who like don't give a fuck what scientists say. Not even just because they're creationists, but just they just don't give a fuck. It's just like not something they take that seriously. Period. Uh, whereas I like tell everyone the story about the. Um, the free Fauci flag? Or yeah, so I was driving around yesterday with my kids and like I drove by this house that had a double garage and one of them said liberate science and the other one said free Fauci and it had hashtags on them. So it's like I was supposed to go and go on Twitter and then like tweet the hashtags or something, which was like, you know, so it's obviously like bringing it to to that level of, of a political statement. And like that's, that's, that's my point. Yeah, so I do like... I agree with you. I wish people would just like listen to scientists. Like, for example, I wish they would listen to scientists on climate change. Right. I, I agree. I, I, I do think that like in terms of when there are um, political or whatever social questions or problems that that have to do with science, then like, yes, scientific experts, experts in general should be like listened to and trusted but I just think what what moves me about it is that it's not that like it's not like to be like, oh, clever and critique people. I'm just like saying like when people when people say I believe in science, I want to you should follow the science like they're not necessarily thinking they're thinking I'm getting out of the social like I am escaping mm -hmm. from bias and all that kind of stuff and like getting to this autonomous objective realm where only the facts matter and my point is that like even the statement itself is imbued with social dynamics which have to do with like credentialism and also like institutional prestige and all that kind of stuff but also like yes scientific knowledge production is like socially mediated and like not people people like are aware like you said of like data can be mishandled like we all know about the the vaccine and autism like study that was you know totally like bs made up um manipulated from the data but like even on a very basic level like you know this how do you get how do you get an article in a journal even in a literary journal you get it by by um getting Homies. it peer-reviewed and like that's 
that's how scientific articles are published as well. They're sent to other scientists who review who review your article, which like is a record of your experiment and your conclusions and all that. And if they approve it, then it goes into the journal and then it becomes like a, a socially accepted kind of like scientific like piece of scientific knowledge. But like Anna was actually explaining to me that um, about a about a very famous now famous German virologist named Christian Drosten, who's become this public figure in Germany. And like he was explaining that, well, peer review can be a problem because if, you know, you're at Stanford and you publish something about a new drug, like a survey about a new drug, and then it gets sent to for peer review to a guy at Harvard and they're trying to do research on the same thing, he might put it at the bottom of his to-do pile because he wants his, you know, he wants Harvard's article to come out first. Or there's like, so like even on the very basic level, the, the production of scientific truth is, is, like I said, imbued with like social dynamics. Nothing's and it's all, it's, it, perfect. Of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's what I, that, of course. But like, I still think like there is, it is worth like hammering, hammering at it. Like, because I do think that like, I believe in science, following the science is like uh, a kind of symptom of a general uh, kind of, I would say, how, how would I put it, tendency, um, like, among liberals, you could say, to be like, I want to get away from politics, I want to get away from anything that might seem like bias, like I have interests or passions or anything like that, get away from politics, get away from the social, like I just want to, let's just be objective, right, but you can't, like, you can't, you can't, yes, technocracy, like, that's, like, I don't think everyone wants a technocracy, but I do think that a lot of people think, well, if you just listen to the scientists, they would somehow, like, just just, well, just tell it, you, oh, it's objectively true that all your beliefs in, about the world and the way it works are actually objectively yeah, true, you yeah. know? I think that, like, it's, it, well, it also, it's an end around. So, like, what Ezra Klein is trying to do in his book, and I think, like, I've, I have yet to see a, anything fucking convincing to answer this question, is, like, what do you do when people disagree with you like how do you convince them and i think there's a there's like so much social science literature and i and i try to read it because it's just something that i deal with very strongly in terms of like my family and like whatever it, ma it matters to me a lot uh, i know they say that like sending links doesn't work that apparently but i have been <laughs> a, like appalled at like the lack of a good answer to this and it's a problem we've been dealing with ever since you know whatever like fake news really started to take hold and and there's like no good answer. And so I think for some people go I, like, it's like a cop out of like, Oh, well, like I'm not going to argue and persuade you. I'm just going to like tell you what the science is, which doesn't actually solve the problem that they're facing, which is like disagreeing with others who are like um, unpersuadable or something. But I, I want to also say something like, I think the funny thing, just funny thing, everyone, Max, your spouse is a German who is a great admirer of Germany's scientist head of state. And I feel like that like affects this in a way. But lest you think that I'm saying, you know, we're all affected, right? So like my partner is has a master's in public health and that and that's gonna inform like I have like, you know, two kind of big takes that I'm gonna give before we finish. And like that I think it's it's interesting, like two people who are like very reverential of science, but come from like 
you know, two different national contexts and one in which I think science is like, you know, like you say, this guy's like a fucking public figure that's virologist and the fucking head of state is literally a scientist versus here, you know, well, like public health people are just like pulling their hair out every day over so many things where there's overwhelming evidence that you like, you shouldn't do X and like our policies are like telling people to do that very thing, you know, and that's before COVID, you know? Just putting that out there. For sure. I mean, I would, I, I want, I, I need to correct you there. I wouldn't say great admirer is actually that accurate because, like, she's never voted for her, for example. Uh, she told but me she's, she t- we had a conversation where she said she, I think she respects her as a person. I'm a, I'm a fucking great admirer of Anna Merkel. But, like, I mean, that's like, I'm joking. And, like, like, all I'm trying to say, Anna, is like, you and your people have a very high regard for science relative to our our people here. Can we agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we can talk about Angela some other time, actually, more in depth, because I do have some thoughts. We have, Anna and I were talking about her recently in a different context. Well, there, but anyway, there's a yes. lot of those articles online, right? Like, oh, of course, Germany is doing this well. Um, Anna, yeah. is, she's a scientist. And, you know, it, it's like the perfect foil for, and they are like handling it like so well. Um, and it, I mean, that's, I don't think that's untrue. Like, I think they're handling it like one of the best in the world and they're doing it in large part thanks to like the way in which she is an executive, you know, versus us. But I'm going to, can I take us to free will? Yes. Um, but I do want to like repeat once more, everything I'm saying is not like, yes, it's like, there's people who don't listen to science. There is a deficit of people who are willing to listen to and like accept the reality of what's going on because it conflicts with their prior beliefs, political, social beliefs, whatever. Like that's not, no, I like, know. Yeah, I'm not, tr- like... I'm not making any of these arguments to sympathize with those people. Like that's not what I'm trying to do. I am talking about, you know, the epistemological challenge that we are facing as people who do want science to like, do want a kind of, yeah, scientific well, objective. The epistemological challenge, I think, is like how do you talk to and deal with like this, you know, whatever forty percent of the country who is like smoking. no, but this is see, that's what I keep saying, Ethan. Like, I don't like how do you talk to them? That's like that's a like that's a rhetorical question. Yes, you know what yes. I mean. Like that's but a I totally think, different. That's a totally mm, different set of issues. I don't think it's a different set of issues. I think it's like. I think probing our own epistemology is an essential step in solving that other problem. Um, and not take, I have no hope of solving that other and problem. And not taking but, our epistemology. Know, good luck to you. No, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't have a lot of hope either. But I just think like not taking our epistemology as self-evident is a necessary step. It, it's just a necessary Absolutely. step. Absolutely, yes, okay, I... I I agree with you. So, like, don't be smug and be like, I believe I'm actually someone who, like, believes in science. Like, that kind of shit, it's not going to win over anyone. Like, just being, like, these pigs in the center of the country who are all dumbasses who, like, read the Bible instead of Newton. Uh, Like, we're all reading Newton. Like, we're all reading Newton. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so free will. So, I have to bring up the very controversial television program Westworld recently concluded. And can I just wait? Sorry, can I interrupt you really quick and just say, like, we're transitioning now away from like, I believe in science. And like, we're talking about what is like the meaning, like getting even deeper. We're getting to like the 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 Westworld level where there's timelines (laughs) within timelines. Um, 
and like down to the down to the bottom like the the base code and like what does it mean to to have a scientific worldview to have like science and like a scientific understanding of the entire universe our entire reality like what does that mean what are some of the implications of that and ethan yes well, wanted to talk about about Westworld, yeah. You te- no, no, you teed that up perfectly. That was great. So, like, okay, yeah, I know it's, like, everyone hates the show. Fuck the show. It's good. I stopped watching. Whatever. Fuck that. I, we don't have time. You don't have time. I'm just going to tell you what happened this season in the way that it relates to this. Okay. You know, 50 years in the future. Spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward. Um, spo- spoiler alert. Or rather, 50 years in the future. Um, some bad shit's gone down. Like, we find out that, like, Paris, it, at least Paris, if not other places, was destroyed um, by nuclear bombs. And basically, you know, hum- humanity kept doing all the stuff that like we're currently doing in the real world, and and it was leading to to apocalypse. And so, what this guy, played by Vincent Cassel, and um, this French guy and his twin brother did, is they they bought a company that was like kind of like a Facebook, a company that had a ton of data on everyone, and they built a supercomputer that could take all this data, everything they know about you, like it could be biometric stuff, you know, like history of smoking, history of mental health illness. It can be, you know, not just like consumer data, although that's in it too, but, you know, everything that's out there, right? And they, this computer knows all of that, and it, and it makes um, educated projections about you and what you'll do. And then on the basis of those projections, you know, so for example, like if it knows that you're a sociopath, um, in this particular future, what it does is basically it kind of directs those people to the military so that, one, there's a high likelihood that they die and don't pass on their sociopathic genes. But two, it kind of removes them from society, takes their violence and puts it to use. A lot of it's like stuff that is kind of already happening. Um, but like it, it gets to basically this point of perfection that this machine, like let's just assume for the sake of argument, and that's what they assume, is let's assume it's correct, actually. If you have, if you had all the data about everyone, you could kind of correctly chart paths for everyone, and make sure that no one fucks stuff up. Um, so another example is there's this, um, like he goes to Brazil, this guy who built the supercomputer, and he says there's going to be this uprising in this province because you've been like stealing all their oil wealth or whatever, and you need to stop doing that because like his whole thing is he doesn't want unrest. He he wants the world to not be torn apart by violence. And the head of state guy is... Technocracy, yeah. Technocracy. And the head of yeah. state guy is like, kind of like, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, listen, the if you don't do what I say, I'm going to, like, I have enough power with all this data to make your currency crash. And then there will be a coup and you'll be killed. And the next guy, the general standing right there, he'll be the president, and I'll be back here telling him what to do. And eventually someone will do what I say. And you get that, like, in this way, he sort of, he smooths out all the human tendencies toward disruption and chaos and self-destruction. But the cost, of course, is free will, right? Um, And so, and so it's really interesting, because they made this before COVID. And and he becomes a lot more sympathetic watching it during COVID because you're like, oh, my God, if you could take all the bad actors out of this world and just have everyone do what the data says, like, maybe this fucking situation would be a lot better. But um, so he's like a kind of a compelling villain. And he's 
he's coming from a thing that he's like, I've looked at the data, and if we let everyone do what they want to do, we will destroy the world in like less than a century, uh, which is actually already true. Um, so I, I, I give that example to kind of, you know, there's a micro way in which that's applying right now, which is to say some people are saying, you know, freedom of choice versus the value of life, you could say. And some people would say you need to inhibit your free choice so you don't get to go outside and go to the park with all your friends not wearing a mask. Inhibit your free choice to preserve the maximum number of lives. And other people would say, well, like, is life even worth living if I can't do what I want to do? And I mean, like, right now, you know, none of us have, like, sympathy for, like, the liberate Michigan protesters. But I think, unfortunately, this thing's going to last a long time, and there's going to be a lot more people over time who are going to be having that debate where, like, all the objective evidence says they should, you know, do X, but they're just like, I want to do Y. I want to assert my free will. Like, we know that humanity is very strongly characterized to me, in my mind, by denial, um, a death drive, like a self-destructive impulse, and a desire to, you know, exercise free will. And I think that, like, the science and that are going to be in uh, really intense conflict in, in much more nuanced ways, I think, as, over the next year or two, unfortunately. What do you think? Well, I mean, the example that you gave was very apt. Uh, it speaks to a lot of things. I mean, so it's, it's to me, it's like, it, it, it's apt in that it speaks to this contradiction at the heart of the scientific worldview between between free will and, like, causal determinism. So, like, this this gets back to you know, just an, as an example, Kant, Immanuel Kant, German uh, philosopher, he had the antinomies of reason. The antinomies are like you know, irreducible contradictions. And he said that like, look, well, well, the antinomy itself was like basically saying either there's, you know, everything is caused by natural processes, like everything is determined by like cause and effect, or like there's, or spontaneity exists. And spontaneity means like free will. And like the whole problem there is that like we believe that like a rational worldview reason is going to like is going to liberate us it liberates us from like anachronistic ways of viewing the world from superstition from inequality like inequality is irrational you know prejudice racism is irrational all those kinds of things they are irrational we th- we, we th- and we think that well this is going to this is going to free us but at the same time like a rational scientific way of looking at the world is like inevitably if it were perfected would result in like the knowledge that like everything we do every thought we have even is like determined before was like determined at the beginning of time because it's all just like particles colliding with one another right so like that's like that's a contradiction that like i mean according to kant you can't really you can't really deal with it you can't like really resolve that I don't know if Hegel thought he had he figured that one out. Um, I haven't read or understood him, uh, but like so, it is it is interesting in that it speaks to that kind of fundamental tension that's at the heart of the worldview, which is like, are we being freed by this, or are we realizing that we're actually subject to natural laws rather than like you know irrational kind of human creations that are like holding us back, right? But it's also like highly, highly incorrect or inapt in like. The sense of, 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 I think it's a reflection of a naive, like, Hollywood cocaine guy understanding of, 
science and data and what science and data can <laughs> actually do. You know what I mean? And this is what I, t- this is like literally, like I, I talk about this in this blog post where like, where there is this trend and it's like another data point for me in my study, but like there's this trend in TV shows and movies to, to, to imply that access to large amounts of data and a strong enough computer give you godlike powers. So like yeah. in the case of West, in this case of Westworld, it's omniscience and it, like the omniscience gives him a lot of power also in the world, like in that example you just gave. But like, you know, in other examples, like in Ex Machina, it gives, it's the same exact thing, right? Like search data and a supercomputer allows someone to create artificial life, right? So it's like the creation of life. So that's like a divine, a divine power as well. And it like really speaks to how it it speaks to data illiteracy, like (laughs) illiteracy, like what we were talking about, because like, you know, people don't understand like predictions, like how, like people don't really understand how predictions work. Like if you, here's an example, like, and, and, and we see this and we're seeing this in the coronavirus stuff. Like when we're seeing uh, predictions, like models that are predicting how many people are going to die and it, and it shows you a line, right? So like shows a line going on a curve and it's like going up to a hundred thousand or whatever. But then they show you like the shaded areas around that's like the confidence intervals and like, so and then those confidence interviews are like huge. They like go way up to like a million people or like way lower than that. You know what I mean? But you still think like but you still you're looking at the graph and you see this line. So you're like, okay, the line is the guess. But like that doesn't mean that their guess is likely at all. And that's leaving mm-hmm. aside the question of whether the assumptions that the model used are correct. Like the model could just be fundamentally flawed and just totally useless, right? But like, here's an example. You know, if I wanted to write a model, like a, like a data science, like predictive algorithm for like, if you roll two dice, what would the number be? Like, you, the, the algorithm would just guess seven every single time, right? Because that's the best guess. That's the most likely outcome. But it's still that's what only a one-sixth chance, right? And it's a five-sixth chance of being incorrect. So like these best guesses that the models are producing uh, like are like guesses, uh, isn't not likely themselves. Isn't Go ahead. Mo- like most likely isn't highly likely is, is one, maybe another way of putting it. Yes. But that's, but that's the point. But like in terms of this communication that's like being mediated through the media, like the best guesses that are still not necessarily likely are being communicated to people as like, this is the guess. This is what we think is going to happen. Yeah. And then you hear things like, 200,000 people could die, but they don't say how likely is that? Like, is that the 95th percentile of the projection? Is this the 99th percentile? You're just saying, oh, 200,000 people could die. And like going back to what we were talking about earlier, are they trying to scare you? Are they trying to keep you from panicking? You know, so every single time you have to filter it through through all that stuff. But like, so that's that's the way in which but I, this... I think there's a way that it, it, I, it's, it's just cracking me up, this coked up Hollywood guy thing, because it's like certain interviews, like I was like one of those overly avid fans. And then I read the interviews with the creator or one of the co-creators, Jonah Nolan, you know, and he and it, and it does seem like he's just like, I don't know, Hollywood's so full. He's jamming out. Yeah, no, no I'm not not in the drug sense. Just like he reads. He's sort of like getting really worked up about like what some neuroscientist says shit is. And it's like, ugh, I'm sure it's not that fucking simple. But here's one thing mm. where, where, where I think that portrayal or dramatization of, of data, it's true. It's already true. It's, it's I mean, like Foucault was already noticing this, which is that like 
you as soon as you're like the, the obs- observation is already intervention and so it's even in picking the criteria that matter um so you know it basically in this th- in in this world right one of the major plot points they use is if the supercomputer predicts a person is going to commit suicide for example you know and then we already in our society today, based on certain points of data, like a person's race or what neighborhood they're from or, or, or whatever, like make predictive investments in them, right? That, yeah, absolutely. That then yeah. perpetuate certain realities and then, and then continue to yield the same data. So and I think that's, all, that's always been sort of like the snake eating its tail when it comes to stuff like poverty is right, conservatives... Uh, or, or let's just say liberals will say, oh, you know, poverty is like self-perpetuating because like no one ever like invests in these communities. And then if you don't invest in them, you know, but then conservatives say, oh, well, these communities are like inherently like incapable of utilizing that investment. And so it's not worth it. And it becomes like, when are you observing and when are you interpreting and when does your interpretation produce the very reality that you're predicting? And, you know, like, like, for yeah, I mean, I would say that mm. happens with that happens with 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 for sure when it comes to sanity and mental health like we create criteria and then we make the world fit the data kind of yeah okay yeah i mean like we yes i see what you mean uh a lot of those dynamics have been around for a long time though uh, before like computers existed so i guess yeah so you could see these these stories or examples of data science giving you know divine power as like yeah, just modern day Frankenstein stories where it's like a metaphor, right? But I do think that they reflect kind of like misunderstanding of what data is and like how much you can do with it. And here's the last thing I'll just say about that is some of the proposals for how we get out of this, you know, if we did, for example, like what South Korea has done or, or to some extent um, China, um, I forgot some of the other examples, you know, if we basically like let the government track us Everywhere we we went, and like if, if they could use uh, like our GPS locating technology to and, and the biometric data that like we're constantly giving to our phones to contact trace everyone through technology, we we could solve we could like get the economy going again very soon in a way that would be much safer. But everyone's like, oh, I don't want to do this because I don't want to like I don't want like Big Brother blah 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 looking at me. And then, but that A is kind of a, just because they can look at you for this doesn't mean that they would be able to successfully use all that data for this, like another Frankenstein purpose, I think would be your point. My point would also be- No, no, no. I'm not talking about, I was just talking about those Hollywood dudes misunderstanding- No, no, like, no, no I know. But I, yeah. data. I'm not talking about the Corona crisis. No, like, no. You, I'm Like you can Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about it though. Like I'm just saying- Okay. I'm saying- Part of the reason that we don't have digital contact tracing here, even though it would be a lot better if we did, so says you know the science and economists and whatever, is because people have this perception, and I think to a large degree it is a misperception, that there's great danger in having one central authority, quote unquote, know all this data about us. And that, yeah. and that perception and the degree to which it's a misperception is having a real world consequence, which it's preventing us. And like this, this would be my argument. I think like the Center for American Progress, like put out a, like a plan, like Harvard put out a plan, 
Like there's been a bunch of plans that are like how you could get the economy functioning again in a safe way. And basically it comes down to like, you just need to know like where every sick person is, who gets infected and who they've, if you even just took the data that Waze has on us or that Google Maps has, you could probably do this. But like people aren't willing to lend that to some new thing that has to do with coronavirus. And that's actually shaping the way that we respond to coronavirus. Don't you think that's interesting? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do think that's interesting. I haven't like, so I've heard like, once again, contradictory stuff about contract contact tracing where it's like, well, we don't know if the United States has even the ability to do it. Like if we could invest in that, the, the, the number of contact tracers that would, we would need. And then, I, there's some people like data guys who are like doubting whether contact tracing really even was the factor that like made the difference. And, you know, like take, for example, Germany, like Germany is a place that has uh, if, if you think that like Americans are jealous of their privacy, you know, compared to uh, East Asia, then like Germany is like, you know, X times more like they're they're crazy about their data privacy their privacy in general and, and like so like they would never submit yeah so they would never ever allow that kind of uh, digital surveillance in germany and yet they're a big they're a big success story so like what's well, what's going on there so it's not in person and, and, and that's been a big distinction too is like they're doing a lot of in-person contact tracing and the people who argue for doing it through big data are saying that like we it, like I think there's something like it's in the single digit thousands, the number of contact tracers that exist in America right now. And we would need it to be in the hundreds of thousands. They're like, we're never going to ramp up, you know, so we should let technology do it because we can't do what Germany did, which is like literally have someone like knock on your door and interview you and like ask who you've been around, you know, for everyone. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So one last point or like another point on this, uh, like what we were talking about. Do you want to do one last point and I'll do one last point and we'll close it out at that point. I will do one last, one last topic that I wanted to cover was in terms of like unpacking the scientific worldview, some of the tensions that, that exist in it, that we, we kind of live with, but are, you know, something that's, that are worth thinking about is, and there's so much stuff I could talk about here. I was like reading all my notes from the like, from books I read about the scientific revolution, but I don't think I'm going to be able to talk about that now. Um, but there's a tension like between like science, like a scientific worldview is kind of like simultaneously really optimistic mm, and yeah. really pessimistic at the same time. So if you think about it one way, like the empirical worldview is you say, well, we can find out the truth. We can find out universal laws that like govern all of our existence by just like observing the world around us. And like what we observe gives us the truth. If, as long as you do it like in a, in a, in an objective way. So it's like, it's very optimistic in that sense. And in another sense, it's like optimistic in that, like we can overcome any kind of challenge by like applying this set of tools that we've developed and like that that's gonna like give us redemption but on the other hand it's like very pessimistic like even at its roots because if you look at like 17th century like people like bacon or descartes or Boyle, like people who they understood you know yes so you want to observe things but like in in the in in observing and like learning about the world like you realize how easy it is for human beings to be led astray. So not only do we have all these internal biases, like Bacon, Francis Bacon called them 
you know, idols of the mind, these internal biases that come from like tradition or whatever, just like even like he like touching on like kind of proto idea of like cognitive biases, biases, you have to like enact a kind of strict discipline on yourself, like an external kind of control over your thought, um, over your way of thinking. And uh, like, on the other hand, like you have to, you have to augment your senses with instruments, right? So like, Here's an example. The microscope and the telescope like totally changed our understanding of like the world and existence. Like, like that it, there are it cells. revealed different scales, uh, different scales of existence that we didn't know were there. So it gives you like the sense of power, like, wow, we can see these things, but also like we had our eyes and we couldn't see them. We couldn't see them. We need like scientific instruments to be able to see them, which shows you like how, how weak our own senses are. You know what I mean? And how weak human beings are. So like, that's my point. It's like human beings need scientific instruments and they need like external constraints and discipline on their behavior and like forms of observation in order to actually produce scientific truth. And like, by the way, like those external constraints, like scientific methods, like are socially generated, but that's like what we were talking about earlier. But like, so I I think that like, if, if, if what I'm saying makes sense, you can see that at play in the corona in the corona crisis because like on the one hand there's this like hope like we're going to find it we're going to find a treatment we're going to find a vaccine our brave scientists are going to do it and like if we listen to them if we listen to their advice we're going to make it through i think that's all true but then on the other hand there's like a misanthropic element to it where you where people are saying like unfortunately well we would be making through it we would be making it through. Unfortunately, like people are by nature, dumb idiots. And like, if we don't intervene constantly, uh, then people are going to do the wrong thing all the time and like break social distancing and not acknowledge it. And I think that there's a sense, I think there is generally, genuinely a sense that like, Oh, everyone, like you just need to like constantly be aware that like there's people around you who are fucking it up and not following the rules. Whereas like most people, I would I I think more people than you think are like are genuinely following it and like if you look at surveys I know we just like cast out on surveys like most people think we should keep keep it up until yeah, we really like I've been pass this I, thing, you I've know? been surprised but I agree do you get what I mean like I like that's yeah. not what I expected but I I do kind of see and recognize that that's the case somewhat more so than I thought but yeah, but anyway, so that's that's what I want to say. But like, you go ahead with your last point, and then I'll make my lot like some summation. No, I mean it's 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 about the pessimism a little bit. I I think that there is a we're, we're being pu- we're being pushed and pulled in 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 two different ways, uh, when it comes to like our esteem for, not just the science, but like maybe like institutional knowledge, knowledge produced by like the institutions that we trust. That could be the scientific community. Could also be like. The stock market is an institution people trust as to be a signal of the financial health of the country. Um, but is it, you know, because like it goes up even when shit's bad and, you know, allegedly our elected representatives are supposed to be, you know what I mean? And people are just really shook about like who to trust and what to trust. And my little bit of take about that is in, in one sense, there's just think about like how complicated the world is right now before coronavirus the way i I was i was talking to chloe about this my partner the way i 
you know when you're on an airplane and you like overhear two boring like 50 year old white dudes talking about what they do and you're like that's a fucking job you know <laughs> work with mm-hmm. me here okay and yeah. y- and you i don't know for me i have this moment where i think jesus this we live in such a complicated world one you know long ago people would just like make wagon wheels for their horses and whatever the fuck and now like People have these like super complicated jobs helping companies do things that I don't even understand what that company does and this other company helps them do it and like what the fuck. And we have this super complicated world and then yet somehow we all manage to fucking let one slip by the goalie called like epidemic prevention and preparedness. You know, in the whole world fucked up, like America fucked up in particular. And so when, and I think of all the like, you know, complicated things in our world that are like part you know physical infrastructure part like you know the internet of things and everything that we've had to give up and you'd look in your neighborhood everyone's given up like a ton of shit and everyone's walking around with a mask and i'm like these masks are like to me they're like signs of the amazing failure of we have so much intelligence in this world but so much of it was going to shit that didn't fucking matter because like we weren't on the thing that did matter. Like we weren't on a thing that was capable of wrecking all that other stuff. So I said this to my uh, master's in public health, public health, um, like careered partner. And she was like, Hey, like we did our job. Like we've been telling everyone about, you know, this and many other things for a long time. And so it's kind of like our idiocy. I think it's like, my takeaway is that it, the accountability lies with, with ourselves in a certain way. Like, the scientists, like, their job is just to produce the information and, like, give it to, quote-unquote, the public. And I know that's, that's not, you know, it's worth problematizing that. I agree with you on all that. But then the public's job is, like, to take it across the goal line in terms of, like, you know, vote, elect people that whatever. And so here's who I blame <laughs> when it all comes down to it. Are you ready to hear whose fault this all is? Haven't you been wondering? Uh, I'm guessing it's the media, but go ahead. No. Us. The fucking liberal coast, coastal bourgeois. Because I think that, like, we are fucking viewpoints. You look at any poll on climate change, on guns, on, like, wealth inequality distribution, all these things. It's, it's the majority viewpoint. Most people, more, yeah, most people, the majority of people agree with, trust the science they agree with this position that we've been problematizing and caricaturing but like the npr position and yet we do not control the political system and that's i think because like i I was once talking to a a friend who who did work in um the public sector but he was saying like the smartest people on their side go to work to like change the political system you know to make it be the way they want it to be on the right and the smartest people on our side go to wall street or to silicon valley and like try to make six figures and then we could talk about this shit and we complain about it and like you know from our very blue states we vote the way we vote but like we haven't committed to enacting our views in the in the political system strongly enough and that's why i mean i like obama i guess i think is a symptom of this failure but 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 do you get what i'm saying like the, the reason that we're at least not handling this as well as South Korea or Germany or something, I think is because we cared more about all this, like, 
I don't know. I think we just cared more about like making money than about this other stuff. And so now this is Chloe's term. We all walk around with this dunce cap on our faces because we fucking missed like one a very obvious <laughs> threat that was right there to see. No, I see what you mean. I mean, there's a few things where I could like quibble about what you just said, but yeah, it's, it's, like, it's not. It's not important because like to me that everything you're saying is like that's that's a political. That's a, those are all political questions. Like what I'm really interested in or, or like what I've been focusing on, like you keep getting back to this like liberals versus whatever, people who don't listen to, to sides. Like I'm not trying to engage in, nothing I'm saying is like trying to engage in that debate. And I'm not trying to like poke the finger in the eye of like liberals like, oh, you think you like believe in science, but you're being dumb like in this way or that. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, like this political question, the social question of like the fact that some people aren't listening to the science and like the fact that our country is a, is a failure or whatever. Like what, <laughs> what I'm interested in is like the fact that we, we, all of us, like me, maybe just me, just like, don't worry about anyone else. Just like me, I am dealing with right now a crisis of like questioning how do you evaluate whether something is true or not. You're getting information from one scientist that says this and another scientist that says that and all this kind of stuff. And, and like all that stuff is getting put pressure on it. So like my only point is not like, it's not to problematize science. That's not like, that's not at all what I would, like how I would characterize. No, I know, I know. But what, why does it what I'm matter? Trying to do. Why does that matter? Okay, so the first reason like I wanted to talk about it was because I thought it was interesting. Like I just thought people might be interested to like think about these issues. We're not trying to solve the, the coronavirus crisis here. We're like talking about current events and giving some background that comes from like, you know, our, our, our knowledge about but why is it whatever. But why is it interesting? Why is the epistemology? Well, because because like what I've been like trying to t trying to say, which is like what we think when we say we believe in science is that we're we're stating that like we assent to like a certain set of facts of truths, right? And like we are realizing right now, it is being shoved in our faces that like a scientific worldview is not a simple, straightforward thing, right? And mm -hmm. I think if you if you recognize that. All of us are saying science is going to help us out of it. We need to figure out what's going on using science, using the scientific method. All of our hopes are in that. And at the same time, we're being frustrated because like the scientific method is not is like producing contradictory, unstable, socially kind of socially and politically inflected forms of knowledge mm -hmm. like if we understand that we can understand like this is part of the anxiety and like, you know, pessimism and frustration that the crisis is producing. So I just like wanted to do it. What I wanted to do is like, maybe I thought it would help explain to people what they're experiencing. You know what I mean? Because like, I'm not trying to say science is wrong or science yeah, yeah. is like built on shaky ground, therefore doubt it. I'm not saying, I'm not no, like, because that. that's yeah. like, this is what we've talked about before. It's like, if that's the skepticism of fools, what you need to do is like understand that that all of this stuff is socially generated so that you can deal with the fact that it's not going to give you all the answers in a straightforward way. It isn't flat and simple, like it's textured and like you can expect that it's like gonna come out 
in like maybe a not so pristine way as you as you expected, you know, because we are going to be waiting and waiting and getting more and more little drip like drips of, of, of this of information about like and getting towards the truth of like how this crisis is going because we like we just don't know. Right. And so so that's why that's why I thought it would be useful, just like so people could understand like a little bit of what they're what they're experiencing without like doubting or criticizing science as much as no, like no, I, when I say like as like taking a critical view, meaning like an outside view, like step away from your assumptions and like look at them. So that's all I wanted to do. If I, I hear what you're saying, where that leaves me like listening to you is that science can only get us so far, you know, w- with its epistemology and its limitation. But like there's more problem than science can address. And that's why it's interesting. That's why it's bothersome. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're whatever. It's because science does what it does, and yet still the problem is not solved. And to me, that refers us to like, again, it's that kind of, I read this quote about some public health official was just like, hey, this is like, if we open this soon, this is how many people will die. But at the end of the day, like society needs to decide what they do. And that's a collectivization of what you're saying, which is like that personal discomfort that we have, I think refers us to, I may be being like very knee-jerk Marxist, but like the personal anxiety refers us to a collective area of, you know, then what do we do? And it's, and it's an area that I, I agree that like the limitations of the science are key to enca- like encounter them and, you know, kind of like come face to face with them because only when you have done that, then you realize like, you know, we just have to make, do our best, you know, within those limitations and also beyond them. Like there's shit we have to do that like science can't point the way and that shit is going to be resolved. It's, it, yeah, it's going to be resolved. Like, do you let your kids play on that jungle gym? But it's also going to be resolved in like more collective ways is what I would say. Not resolved yeah, as in solved, I mean, like- but just like, you know, synthesized decided yes i mean like there was a point at which you know the epistemological fogginess that lies underneath the supposed objectivity of science like there's a there's a point in which that stops being important and you have to decide what you're going to do and like yes that but that is beyond the the frit like that is beyond the bounds of like epistemological concerns so yeah yeah so i mean i i do agree like that is another like interesting question though is like where is that boundary like at at what point do you just say like okay we we are transferring now from like the territory of of you know scientific like let the scientists do their things and like we're going to go over to the to the territory of this is like where we're going to decide something collectively on what what's to be done about it. And like, I do think that I think there they overlap is... a lot though. They, every time you decide, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Kids, like that's, but that's like, know. I'm using a metaphor, yeah. but like, yes, yes, there's, there's, there's overlap there. But like, I do think that, that maybe one takeaway would be like, you know, don't fall into this trap, which a lot of people do of, of like yearning for technocracy where like, I think, you know, I, I have this thing where I've been saying, telling people like, I think that Fauci is going to get fired by Trump at some point. Yeah. And like, there's going to be people who seriously say that he should be the democratic nominee for president. Like I, I, I still believe it's going to happen. Like I have no proof that it's going to happen. I mean, there's stories that like Trump is thinking about firing him. Don't but, you think that those um, are the same knows? people who said Oprah should run after her Golden Globe speech? 
Yeah, well, of course, some people will latch on to anything, but like I do think that that there has been there is this tendency like of of yeah liberals especially to be like well to want technocracy and like I don't think that like that that is a mixing like that's that's mixing the two spheres um, way too much because like politics is not something where you can get objective truth mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. right like you're you can't just put you you cannot put the data into a computer and just decide and you know, like get get a ticket like a little piece of ticker tape or whatever coming out like giving you all the right policy prescriptions that's not what politics is about and i do think that there's a fantasy that well what if we could have a computer do it yeah and like we ought to we have to avoid that because if you want to have about to the remember fantasy, like just watch restaurant season three and don't live it out but go ahead yes politics is about freedom politics is about like free will and an ethical choice and like and and all that good kind of stuff <laughs> Um, it's not about like, it's, it's, it's not about, let's just subject ourselves to the laws of nature. Like mm-hmm. we should maintain some kind of, some kind of distinction there, even if they're like contradictions that we, that we have to live with. Yeah. Whoa. The implications of that are massive, but that I think we've covered literally everything thus far. Yeah. It's been two hours. Hopefully we'll, we can edit that down a little bit, but yes, um, it was a pleasure. <laughs> talking to you about this um, and like hopefully well you know we'll do another one uh by the time we do the next episode it might be a while but i do think we'll still be experiencing this crisis so i'm sure there'll be more to discuss yeah uh, hopefully this time we'll predict that maybe the world won't end before our next episode sounds good all right until next time bye, bye.